You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Hello again, friends, as we continue our conversation from Episode 1. In the first episode, we talked about how the Western Christian tradition asks us to believe in a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, and yet who makes a creation in which not all will come to a good end. And this creates an enormous problem, because God bringing into existence souls who are doomed from the beginning ends up subtracting from the goodness of God. And that's because... These souls have no hope of ever coming to a good end in a creation in which their failure is foreknown and therefore inescapable. Think about this. These people that God knows will not be saved from the beginning, but then God goes ahead with creation anyway. Their fate is sealed before they are ever born. They are losers in a game they could never have won in the first place. Their failure is enfolded within creation itself. And yet, according to the Western Christian tradition, God ultimately condemns them for their unavoidable failure by abandoning them to non-existence or by tormenting them forever. All of this would be nonsense, but it has become so baked into the Western Christian tradition in one form or another, and so much has gotten piled on top of it over hundreds of years, and so much effort has been put into defending it, that lots of people have started to think it must make sense, even if we don't understand why, I guess because God's ways are so much higher than our ways. Of course, the irony of this is that what many have become convinced of is not that God's ways are higher than our ways, but actually that God's ways are lower than ours. And one of the ironic outcomes of all of this is that part of the function of Christian religious training has become learning the ability to call it good that God enfolds hopelessness within creation itself. So now, within Christian community in general, daring to point out the absurdity of all of these things is kind of like being the child in Hans Christian Andersen's folktale, the one who dares to tell the emperor that he has on no clothes. And so the emperor is the Western Christian tradition, with its hell of no return enfolded into it, at least for some or probably most people. And it's finally time to point out that if it truly is the case that some number of people are actually going to hell forever and that God has enfolded this inevitability into creation itself, then the creation is not all good, and by extension, God the Creator is not all good. And so it really is time to say that the emperor doesn't have on any clothes. But it's not enough to just point out the problem. We also have to provide an answer. We can't just deconstruct. We also need to construct or reconstruct. So without further delay, I now present my five-point Christian Universalist theology, my way of constructing this. So here's how we'll do this. In the rest of this podcast, I'll give a brief overview of each of my five points, and then in each of the following five podcasts, I'll expand our look at them. What follows then is a kind of flyover to get the lay of the land. Each of these five points are supported by passages in the Bible, but I won't go into exactly where right now, 
because I just want to focus on the words and the phrases themselves. So my first point in all of this is God is a loving parent to all. And the Bible contains the following words, which back this up, beginning with one of the most famous and important passages in all of the New Testament. God is love. And then we can go on from there to where it says, love is patient, love is kind, not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, not insistent on its own way or irritable or resentful, not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but rejoicing in the truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, and never ending. We can also read in the Bible about a God who loves even God's own enemies, about a God who is not far away from anyone, but near to each one of us, a God in whom we are living and moving and having our being, a God who considers all of us to be God's very own offspring, God's very own children, a God who may be likened to a father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, a God who may even be called the God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When we take these biblical passages together, they describe a loving God who is nearer to us than we can possibly know, who loves us more intimately and more deeply than we can possibly imagine, and who is more like a wonderful and fully committed parent than anything else we might compare God to. So, point one is God is a loving parent to all. My second point is this, God sincerely wants to save all. And I am encouraged to believe this when I read in the Bible about a God who intends to bless all the people of the earth. And I read about Jesus, who says he will draw all people to himself. And I find a parable Jesus tells about a shepherd who having a hundred sheep and losing just one of them, leaves the ninety-nine in the wilderness and goes after that lost one until he finds it. I also read in the New Testament that God is our Savior who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, and also about how God does not want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And so now my picture of God is building. Now I have a loving God who is apparent to all, and who desires the salvation of all. And that brings me to my third point, which is this. God in Christ covers the sin of all. When it comes to this point, I see in the scriptures where it says that, whereas the trespass of Adam led to condemnation and death for all, the righteousness of Christ led to justification and life for all. I also read where we are told that Christ has died for all, and therefore all have died in Christ. And then I read about how being dead in Christ means having your life hidden in Christ. And then about how Jesus is not just the atoning sacrifice for the sins of those who believe in him, but also for the sins of the whole world. And further, how Jesus is the mediator between God and humanity, the one who gave himself as a ransom for all. So now I'm seeing that Jesus is the way God is justifying all, reconciling all, including all, ransoming all. 
It's like we were all covered in sin and death because of our disobedience, but then God came to us and covered us all in Christ. And the result is that we are all now covered in righteousness and life and mercy, whether or not we know it or even understand it. So those are my first three points, and now we come to a turning point. Because this fourth point really changes things when you fully contemplate it, and it's this. God is sovereign over all. Sovereignty is basically the idea that God is ultimately in charge, and so everything happens under God's care and ultimately proceeds where God wills it to go. And so we read in the Bible that no one is able to withstand God, that God does whatever God pleases, that while people may decide all kinds of things, it is the purpose of the Lord that will be established, that God can do all things, that no purpose of God can be thwarted, and further, that God declares the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My purpose shall stand, and I will fulfill my intention. It is also repeatedly stated in the Bible that nothing is too hard for God, that for God all things are possible, and that God is the one who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. The upshot of all of this is that since God is not only unstoppable, but also all-knowing, the basic question is not if God's intentions will be fulfilled, but what these intentions finally are. Since God is sovereign over all things, this isn't about whether God is strong enough to get everything to work out, and it's not about whether or not God is smart enough to know how everything will turn out. What this means is that the only thing that is really at issue is what it was that God wanted in the first place. Because whatever God wanted from the beginning is what God will inevitably get in the end. And that leads us to my fifth point. God will be all in all. We can find indications in the Bible that God's ultimate end game is to finally be all in all. And so we can read in the Bible that after all things are subjected to the Son, then the Son will subject himself to the Father so that God may be all in all. We can also read that the final purpose of God imprisoning all of us in disobedience was not to be able to condemn some of us, but to be able to be merciful to all of us. We can also read about how it is God's plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, and about how all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and about a coming time when every knee will bow and every tongue shall give praise to God, and how at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will gladly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We can also read that all things have been created in Christ, and through Christ, and for Christ, who is before all things, and in whom all things hold together, and that in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and about how God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And then also about how there is to be a coming time in which God will restore everything, and there will be a renewal of all things. And so we can find a definite sense in the Bible that the end game God had in mind from the beginning was a final renewal and restoration 
of all things, in which there will be a spiritual unity in Christ, and God will finally be all in all. I believe that in the Bible I can see this, that God is a loving parent to all, who sincerely wants to save all, who in Christ covers the sin of all, who is sovereign over all, and who will finally be all in all. I remember one time in an adult Sunday school class, I handed out a piece of paper with these basic scriptures and these five points, and I did it very calmly. I just read them all out like I was uh, reading a recipe for how to bake a cake or something. And this woman who was in the class, after I finished with this, just burst into tears. It was really surprising to me because I had put no emotion into reading any of it. But she became very emotional and said something along these lines. I always knew there must be another way to read the Bible, but I had just never seen it before. And that's what happens to a lot of people. They grow up in a church of some kind, and well-meaning people pass on to them the version of Christianity that was passed on to them because they are concerned about their everlasting soul and they want them to go to heaven after they die. But the Christianity they teach them contains some inherent inconsistencies. There's something about it that doesn't match up, and they're left with a kind of inner dissonance in their soul. Because they know what love is if they've been fortunate enough to have had loving parents, and they come to the conclusion that their parents love them better than God does. And then when they become parents, they begin to realize that they love their children better than God does. And it all just doesn't seem to add up to them that they could possibly be better parents than God is. So, when they find out that there is actually a picture of a truly loving God that actually is a better parent than they are, and that this is all really present in the Bible, it can turn out to be a very emotional experience for them. I had one person tell me that after putting a lot of research into all of these things that we've been going over, that the day that he realized that he could be a Christian and believe the Bible and believe that God would ultimately save everyone was maybe the best day of his life because it was going to allow him to hold his whole life together because he wanted to go to church and to believe the Bible and to have Jesus as his Savior and also to have the confidence that God was truly good and that all would finally be saved. The experience that a lot of people have is that when they really get a hold of all of this and they see the evidence for the big picture, something huge just clicks inside of them and they know deep in their bones at an intuitive level, that they've just gone into a spiritual space that is right for them. And I found this to be true for myself. Once I finally saw all of this, it was like opening a wellspring. I remember well the moment that it happened. It was when I was reading a wonderful book by Thomas Talbot called The Inescapable Love of God. So I was a Christian for a little over 20 years who believed that God was good and would finally save everybody that was savable, but for some mysterious reason, there might be some that aren't savable. And that worked okay for me until around the end of 2011 and the beginning of 2012, when I really started looking at this seriously all over again, and I found more evidence that I hadn't considered earlier. And I just had more life experience under my belt. And all of this just clicked together for me. And it hasn't unclicked. And I don't expect it to. And I'm really loving this podcast because my book was a more formal exercise in trying to communicate all of this. But this, 
all feels more personal, more like me just getting to share with you like I would talk with anyone. So I'm really grateful for this ability to do a podcast and for us to connect in this way, because it has become my conviction that every person on this earth is my eternal brother and sister and friend in Christ. And it's just a beautiful thing when you can start to live in the understanding that this is who we are to each other and that God's ultimate intention is to bring all of us together and that in the ages to come, we will all be fully reconciled to each other and to God. And then we will all be experiencing a tremendous love for each other and we will realize that all of it had always, always been about grace. All right. Well, that's what I wanted to cover with you in this episode. I've enjoyed being with you in this time, and I'm looking forward to next time when we can delve more deeply into the first point of my five-point Christian universalist theology about how God is a loving parent to all. Until that time, I invite you to join me in believing in a grace that saves all. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.